0: 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to be starting in verse 5, and we're going to read through uh, verse 11. We're actually going to wrap up uh, our our Hope, our Living Hope sermon series uh, today, and I'm excited. Next week, Buddy uh, is going to be preaching uh, for me. I'm pumped. I'm excited. I can't wait to hear it. Um, I'm excited to have him and Casey uh, be a part of our church as well here, uh, and so we're excited about that. And then I'm, I'm really pumped about the sermon series is going to be following uh, this, this one that we're calling All In. And uh, I want to give you a little bit of an idea of really what's gone on. Number one, what we're seeing across the country is that COVID obviously wreaked havoc on everything, not just churches, but as a result, churches also saw a downturn in attendance, But we've also seen an uptick in people starting to become a part of a church again, right? And some of it is, and and what we're seeing as a church is really since August, I would say about 30 to 35% of the people in our church are new, right? Which is a blessing. At the same time, we have people who have never come back or to a certain extent, have also been very sporadic hit and miss. And on top of that, let's just be real. Right now, there is a lot of sickness going on, not just COVID, But flu and different things like that. So it it is one of those things. But one of the things that I'm encouraged by is this is that this idea of being all in is that we're basically just like if you were, and I know listen, Baptists, the whole gambling thing, but if you were sitting at the poker table and you had a mountain of chips and you're betting on the cards that you've been dealt, we're betting on the fact that God has dealt us a full house in his life, in his death and resurrection, and he wants us to experience a full life. what we're saying is we're all in. We're sold out. God, you have called us to this, and we're going to be obedient to you no matter what the cost. And so I want to encourage you uh, to be here, plan on being here. And over the next couple months, or really the next month, we have quite a few things going on. Now, there has been some confusion, I believe, on our part or from our part toward you. We want to let you know about a couple things coming up. First of all, this Friday night is date night. Now, this is something we're going to start doing on a fairly regular basis. And everybody thinks, oh, that means we're coming in, we're going to drop off our kids, we're going out somewhere. No. This Friday night, we are investing in our marriages. And what we're doing is, you can bring your kids in, they're going to be cared for. We're going to have it all set up out here. It's going to be a dessert night. All right. So please eat before you come, unless you want to just fill your belly with a bunch of sweets. I don't know, maybe you're elf and you like sugar um, or something like that. But but we're going to have the date night up here. Starts at 6.30. Um, it'll be over by 8.30, 8.45 at the latest. It's an opportunity for us to invest in our marriages. So we have Chris Williams. And Pastor Sean Jones, both Pastor Chris Williams and Sean Jones from Fellowship Greenwood are going to come up with their wives. They're going to invest in us. It's going to be built upon games and fun and, and uh, some things like that. So we want to encourage you to sign up for that. And if you're interested, number one, you can see me or you can see Maria and say, hey, we're, we want to sign up. Or you can go to our website, churchatthreetrails.com backslash date night, and you can register that way. We want to encourage you to be a part of that. Our goal over the next year is that we're rebuilding things. COVID kind of did this deconstruction, right? Like people stopped showing up. There was this insecurity. There were all these things. And so we, we really stopped doing a lot of stuff other than trying to maintain small ministries and things like that. And we're reconstructing or rebuilding um, really what we feel like the Lord is leading us to do and to accomplish as a church. So we want to encourage you to be a part of that, right? The next thing is on February 6th, we're having our new members class, Trailhead, what we call Trailhead. It's the beginning of your journey on the trail. You know anything you think about a Trailhead? The Trailhead is the very starting point. And I want to encourage you is this, is if you are interested in becoming a part of our church, going through the class doesn't make you a member. You can check us out. You can see what's going on. You can kick the tires, do whatever you want to do uh, to do that. But we want to encourage you to sign up for that. Lunch will be provided. It's directly following the service uh, on February 6th. And uh, we want to encourage you to be a part of that. We're going to ask you to be involved and get connected and begin to serve in a ministry. And then here's some other things that are coming on. February 13th. Anybody know what's going on February 13th? No, it's Valentine's Day. Well, yes, yeah, it's the Super Bowl. Sorry. <laughs> right? So the Super Bowl will be going on. And we do a thing every year called the Super Bowl, S-O-U-P-E-R, Bowl. We want to encourage you to stick around after service uh, it's a fellowship time. Get to know each other. We ask you to bring a soup and maybe a side. When I say a side, you know whatever it is, if you bring tortilla soup, maybe it's chips, maybe you bring a nacho dip, whatever it is. But we encourage everybody to bring a soup and a dessert or something like that to share. We're going to hang out. We're going to have a business meeting, family meeting, where we're going to give you our budget or, or uh, our financial report and some things like that. Uh, during that time, but we want to encourage you to be a part of that uh, over the next three weeks. There is going to be great opportunities for us to get to know each other, uh, to get to hang out, to get connected, and things like that. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 5, we're wrapping up this series. We're going to start in verse 5, which if you remember from last week, we kind of wrapped up with this, but we're going to be talking about today um, this idea of hanging tough in tough times. Um. When I was growing up, we used to have these things called survival knives. Anybody ever remember the survival knives, right? It was like an eight-inch, really cheaply made blade that never held a sharp, I mean, you'd probably kill yourself more from stabbing yourself than could cut because it was just cheap metal. But on it or inside of it, it had fishing line and fishing hooks and matches, and then on the top, it had a compass, right? And this last year for Christmas, we got Ethan a survival kit. Right? It's got all this stuff in a small kit he can carry with him, and, and it's this idea. But I want us to think about today kind of being this survival kit for when tough times come in my life. And here's what we know about 1 Peter. 1 Peter's promise, the, the, the description he gives is, listen, tough times are going to come up, and we need to be prepared for it. This is what you need in your survival kit in order to make it. In order to be able to last through the persecution and the struggles and the difficulties and the winds that blow against you, you need to be able to have these things. So starting along in verse 5, following along with me, it says this, young men, in the same way be what? Submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under what? Under who? God's mighty hand, all right? So when I'm humbling myself, I'm literally placing myself under the authority of God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. He's the one that does the lifting, nobody else. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever Amen. And I'm going to finish out the book. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. I love this. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So, anyways here's what I want to do. I want to talk about the church, and I want to talk about what it means when they go through or when we go through this idea of severe persecution. First Peter is all about that. Listen what he's trying to understand. What we're trying to get through is this, that we have a living hope or or a, a living reality of hope in Christ that we can live wholly in a hostile world, even in the midst of persecution. And so that's this Whole idea of 1 Peter, that we walk with this living hope. And here's the truth. The the, the church here that Peter's writing to, much like the church that that James was writing to, the the dispersed people, is a church that was beginning and or already in the midst of persecution amongst its members. And James, or I'm sorry, uh, Peter is writing this book to let him know what's going to happen. And here, please hear me out when I say this, church. I believe... That as times continue to go on, the way we're currently going, at the pace we're continuing to go, that persecution will become more prevalent in the lives and in the ministry within churches in the United States. I don't know if you realize what's going on right now in Canada. Like we looked at Canada and we're like, oh, Canada's not that bad. No, Canada is atrocious when it comes to the freedoms and the liberties of Christians within the country of Canada. Canada. They have completely locked down and shut down churches. They're not allowed to meet whatsoever unless they meet underground, right? So they're doing it illegally. Pastors are being arrested. Canada just passed a law that says if you preach anything against homosexuality, transgender, anything that we would say biblically lines up with what marriage means, that you can and will be arrested as a pastor. They just passed that law this week. And one of the things that we have to begin to understand is it's not far behind that when the the, the countries that are around us that have been built upon this democratic idea of of elections and freedoms and things like that, when they begin to take away the freedoms of religion and the practice of religion and the truth by which the Bible was written, then we set ourselves up for persecution. So we have to begin to understand that. And here's where I struggle as a pastor, and I'm going to be just point blank honest Right? When COVID started, people scattered. And that wasn't persecution. I'm just gonna be realistic. It was not persecution. Not for pressure. Yes, there were things that they tried, but our legal system and things like that protected us. But here's what worries me, or here's what bothers me at times with the sense of our American church is that when persecution, Would or could begin to arise that many within the church, because we've settled for an easy believism, this idea that nothing is ever going to go wrong, scatter and as a result walk away from the faith, when the reality should be that we are strengthened we are built up, we are encouraged, we are bold. And that's what Peter is saying here in these texts, in, these, in, this, in this, this section of the text. See, Peter isn't just what God has said in the past, but it's what God is saying to us today. If you want to understand scripture Right, I I say this consistently to my kids, my son even brought it up the other day, but if I want to understand scripture, I have to know, number one, what did it mean originally to the first years? Number two, what does it mean now? And then number three would be, what's that mean for me today, or how do I apply it? And so when I read 1 Peter chapter 5, I begin to go, okay, how how do I begin to apply this? And what I wanted to say was this. I believe that we need to have a survival kit or these five things within our lives in order to succeed, in order to hang tough in the tough times. So if you remember anything else, I want you to remember this today. We must be aware of the attacks of the enemy and stand firm in Christ to defeat the work of the devil. We must Be aware of the attacks of the enemy and stand firm in Christ to defeat the works of the devil. So here are five things that I think we need to have in our toolbox in order to succeed in that very statement. Number one is submission. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time because we talked a little bit about submission last week. But Adrian Rogers, Pastor Adrian Rogers, who's deceased, passed away, was a pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, says this. You are never more like the devil than when you have a rebellious spirit. Like, are there anybody that would say, man, I'm a natural born rebel. Like, I try and do everything to buck this system. Like, when somebody tells me I have to do something, I'm the guy who's like, yeah, watch this. I'm not going to do it, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. They're just deep down inside, sometimes in my spirit, there is this innate desire to be like, oh yeah? It's like, don't touch that. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like, you know, like that was my role. And my wife would tell you that was my role as a kid, or that's the way I, I rolled as a kid. And my mom was here just last week. And my wife was like, your, your grandson is just like your son. And you cursed me with this, <laughs> right? Because he is, he's, he's like that. But there's this idea of submission. And submission is not treating yourself as below somebody else or less equal, let me clarify, submission is not treating yourself as less equal and letting somebody walk all over you, but rather submission is two people who are in equal stature and one saying, I am humbly submitting to you to serve you or placing myself under that person. It doesn't mean inferiority, it doesn't mean dominance, but it plays this idea of submission and we have to understand what Jesus says, so I'm never more like the devil when I have, than when I have a rebellious spirit. But listen, I am never more like Jesus than when I am submissive to those who are around me. And so in order to succeed, in order to be a success when it comes to standing against the attacks of the enemy, I need to be a person who submits. Number one, I submit to the headship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the church, right? And if Jesus is the head of the church, then I submit... As a member of the body of Christ, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and, and how we are all gifted and we all have unique parts and abilities and the hand can't operate well, without the foot and I an can't operate without uh, the, the use of the head and things like that, but we have to begin to understand that we submit to the authority of Jesus and then we submit to those who are in authority over us. And, and, and that, what's crazy about that is submission is just the natural work of the Spirit in our life, and we do it out of a loving, caring, compassionate obedience to Jesus. I have never seen people who have submissive attitudes to those around them get into a conflict or a situation when they say, listen, I'm going to treat or I'm going to acknowledge this person and I'm going to submit to them. And that's the same way in scripture, right? When it says wives submit to your husbands, do you realize that the first verse before that is this, that you submit to one another out of reverence for who? Right, right? And so like when I've heard husbands be like, man, you know, and we joke around about this. You've heard it before. When I joke around and I'll tell my wife when she calls me out on something, I'll be like, woman, know your role, submit. And she usually looks at me and is like rolling her eyes like, you're an idiot, (laughs) right? But it's not a dominating, dictating inferiority, she's less than me or I'm greater than her. It's a reality that we begin to submit to each other. See, God made us different that we all might be one, That we can all work together. That as we submit to the head of Jesus Christ and those he have put over us, that we can succeed. Number two in our tool bag, if we were to call it our survival kit, would be this idea of humility. And here's where we have to begin to see what he says when it talks about humility. Number one, he says to clothe clothe yourself with humility. Anybody know what that term actually means? It, It means when we talk about clothing yourself, it means this idea of tying a knot. It's the idea of putting on a servant's gown or an apron to serve those who are around you. And he says that we have to be people who are humble. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So I, I, I'm humble towards other people. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But then he says this, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Now, here's where the going gets tough. Here is where, as humans, we really struggle right? Because in a prideful way, pride comes out when we begin to go, I doubt God really cares that much, right? I'm in a circumstance, I'm in a tough situation, I'm in a difficult place in life, and we begin to go, God, do you really care? Do, do, you, do, do you love me? Don't you see what I'm going through? And here's what would happen in that time frame is that these people are under persecution and there would be this struggle of, God, where are you at? Why are you not answering these prayers? Why am I under this persecution? Why am I facing these difficulties? And there's there's this pride that begins to well up of like, fine, I'll take care of it myself. And here's where we're at in today's culture oftentimes, right? Like when we pray and God doesn't answer the prayers the way we want, there becomes this pride that wells up, fine, I'll do it my own. And listen to what he says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may what? Lift you up in due time. So humility is this idea that I have to understand God's care and God's compassion and God's love and God's plan for me. Humility is an acknowledgement, listen, of God's sovereignty in my life that he has numbered my days, that he knows every step I should take, that his word is gonna be a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And so there's this humility idea when he's saying this. He says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. Right? The, 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 the very God who spoke things into existence, all things into existence, but yet, listen, uses that same hand in Genesis to form or fashion mankind. And he's saying, Peter's saying this, you place yourself in humility under the mighty hand of God who formed you, who fashioned you, who made you with great intent and great purpose because at the right time, he's gonna lift you up. So when you go through the trials, when you go through the struggles, when you go through the persecution, I can acknowledge and admit and, and, and accept in humility, the plan that God has for me. Philippians chapter two says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility considers others better than yourselves. But then listen to what he says. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also, also the interests of others. There's this idea that we have to begin to understand and wrap our minds around and begin to, to follow or believe. And that's this that God cares far more than you can even begin to understand. God cares so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that you can experience life more abundantly, so that you can walk in the freedom that he offers, so that you don't have to be trapped and and enslaved in the bonds of sin that is so easily entangled, but instead I can walk in the freedom and the grace that Jesus gives. That's the humility, and that's what we begin to place ourselves under. See, Did you know, listen to what he says in verse 7, he says, cast all your anxiety, which means what? Worry, fear, struggle. He says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Did you know that the antidote to worry is resting in God's care for you? Anybody, I mean, I'm not asking for raised hands, but I want you to think about this. Are you a worrier? Are you one that thinks about and frets and gets anxious and worries and, and because you have no control over certain circumstances around you? And if you are, then listen. He says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. That humility In that tool bag that we need is the humility to say, God, I know that your plans are bigger than my plans, that your ways are higher than my ways, that whatever it is you call me to do, I will place myself in your hand, the mighty hand of God, because you care for me. So there's the the second tool that we need is this idea of humility in our lives. But number three is this self control. In my life, I have to be self-controlled. Self-control is the idea of learning to say what? No, right? Like, I have to be self-controlled. And listen to what he says in verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. This idea of self-control is the same idea of being what we call sober-minded. If you were to read chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, the end of all things are near, therefore be self-controlled or sober-minded so that you can pray. And now he comes in and he says, be self-controlled and alert. So here's this idea that's playing out. I have to be sober. In other words, I need to be so intoxicated with the love of God that I'm not intoxicated by anything else in life. I am so intoxicated with God's word that I am sober and I am self-controlled that I can then stand up against the schemes of the enemy at the same time when I'm self-controlled and sober. It says, when you operate in that way, then you can pray. A sober, self-controlled person prays powerful prayers and sits under the authority of God's word and is watchful against what Satan wants to do. See, self-control is this whole idea that my response and the actions in my life, my sins and the choices I make are opportunities, listen, to glorify God or to walk in disobedience and, and really acknowledge and allow Satan or give Satan a foothold. Every choice I make when I'm choosing something over something else is the idea, am I self-controlled enough in order to be obedient to what God has called me to do? There is personal responsibility in your walk. Self-control is the idea that I learned to wake up and I can choose between reading the Word and spending time on Facebook, or reading the Word and listening to the radio, or reading the Word and reading social media. Whatever it is that we begin to play in, self-control is the very thing that I have to do. There is a responsibility with which you give it. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear. No temptation has seen you except what is common to man. And God always gives us a way out from every temptation. He always does. James chapter 4 talks about that. And so as we deal with this idea of self-control, we have to begin to also see this, that the self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. In other words, when I say there's a personal responsibility to be self-controlled, that responsibility comes when I fill my life with the Spirit. In other words, I spend more time in God's Word. I allow the Spirit to work in my life, and it's a fruit of the Spirit. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, my mind is going to respond in a certain way. I'm not going to chase after other things, and I'm going to chase after God things. And so there plays this idea that I have to have in my tool bag or in my survival kit an attitude of self control. When self control is absent, sin is present. I hope you hear that very clearly when a lack of self-control is present or, or is absent, sin is present. Because what I find is that I so easily want to go and chase after the very things that God doesn't want me to chase after. So it's this idea of avoiding the effects of intoxication. As a matter of fact, I want to just read something to you and I want you to think about this. What percentage of your thoughts of your actions, of the very things that you see, watch, hear, or do are a repeat of what you hear in the media, in social media, or in those you work with on a consistent basis? And what percentage of your thoughts and your attitudes and in in your actions are an overflow from a full heart spent in God's word? Because I've seen a lot of craziness out of a lot of Christians recently (laughs) because of what we listen to. And 1 Timothy says it over and over and over again that people will surround themselves with people who will tickle their ears. And that's oftentimes what ends up happening. We find something and we won't listen to it when the truth should be that we don't listen to those external sources, but we listen to the very truth of God's word speaking in my life. So I have to learn to be self-controlled. And then I want you to know this, number four is to be watchful. The idea, he says, be self-controlled and alert. Now here's why we need to be self-controlled and alert, right? I have to be self-controlled and I have to be alert, why? That's answered in the next sentence in the verse, right? Right? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. So when I'm not self-controlled and I'm not watchful, then I've opened a door for the enemy who's prowling around like a roaring lion, waiting and looking for someone to devour. So when I talk about being watchful, I have to have this tool in, in in my survival kit that I have to be on alert. I have to be watching for the schemes of Satan. And listen, you know your weaknesses. You know your struggles. You know your temptations. You know everything about you. And the Lord knows everything about you. But sometimes what ends up happening is we throw the door wide open on the very temptations that we know Satan's going to use. And instead of being self-controlled, we throw that door open. Instead of being alert, we throw that door open and we allow Satan to walk right in and devour. Maybe it's devour our family. It's devouring our marriage, maybe it's devouring my attitude and my actions, the very fact of the matter remains, I have to be watchful. In the Navy, we called it situational awareness. In every circumstance, and I, you know, my wife at times, and I've used this example probably in the past, my wife at times would go, oh my gosh, you're paranoid. Because I'd be like, where's the closest exit on the airplane? How far forward and how far back? Who's the person that you're, like my wife will tell you, like I get on, I get into places like I am eyeballing people and I'm looking for like, who's the threat? Like, I'm, I'm just telling you, that's the way it is. Like I, I look at individuals, I'm like, that guy could be a problem. So I'm gonna watch that dude, right? Or that person's acting really weird. They're fidgety, they're like, it's just me, it's my nature. It's a, and, and my wife is like, you're paranoid. I'm like, I'm not paranoid, I'm alert. I got situational awareness going around. Like, we were walking down Fort Worth. we not too long after we were married. We're walking down Fort Worth Main Street, and I realized we're between two groups, and there's some, there's some eyeballing going on and some bickering going on, and we're talking, and she's, she, she didn't notice. And I grabbed her, and we slid into this alley, walking down Fort Worth, Texas, and we slid into this alley, and I literally put my back up against the wall. She's behind me, and I let the groups walk by. She's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I think we're about to have some problems. And she's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But listen, here's what we have to begin to understand. In that circumstance or in those situations in our lives spiritually, there are times where you have to be alert of what's going on in front of you and what's going on behind you because Satan is prowling around looking for a chance to catch you not aware, not alert, not being watchful so he can pounce. So that's why I need to have self-control. That's why I need to be watchful and alert in every circumstance and situation. Listen, because your enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion. John chapter 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's looking for the very person that he can devour, he can annihilate, he can abuse, he can mistreat. And here's what I always say, and here's a, a, verse or a statement I heard a long time ago as a pastor, like people can knock some guidelines and some some ways that pastors respond, but I want you to understand this. There are guidelines and standards and stipulations that I have set up in my life that I know other pastors have set up in our life because we have to be alert, right? Every chance to counsel somebody is also a chance for an accusation, Every chance to meet with somebody, every, every opportunity where somebody comes in and their marriage is struggling and the wife wants to talk about it or the husband is dealing with things are, are chances for failure and flaws and faults. And that's why I have to be self-controlled, but I also have to be alert. Why? Because I know greater men than me who have fallen. There are pastors who have been better pastors than me who have fallen as a result of not being alert to the very aspects and the attitudes that Satan wants to do in our lives. So I have to be watchful. And you have to be watchful as well, because greater people than you have fallen at the attacks of Satan. And then the fifth thing I want you to know is this. This is what you have to be. So we talk about being alert, being watchful. The fifth thing you need to be, you'd have to be defensive. And let me be very clear on this. There is a boldness at times within the lives of believers that we think that we ought to be on the offensive against Satan. And while I would say that that's the mission that God does to accomplish it, that God is on the offensive, if you think that you're going to be the one who's on the offensive against Satan, you've got another thing coming. Because what Peter is saying here, listen to what he says now. Be self controlled and alert. Now jump to verse 9. Resist him. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. This idea of resistance is the idea of being defensive. I want to be the resistance against the regime that wants to wreak havoc on the world. I'm going to stand firm resisting the devil. Being on the defensive, being alert for every action, being self-controlled in every way, but yet being armed and ready to stand against the attacks that Satan presents. Because listen, it's very clear when he talks about this, that when you stand firm in the faith, that God will lift you with his righteous right hand, with his mighty right hand at his due time. But it's important for us to understand, especially in the American church, listen, that there are, is a family of believers throughout the world who are going, undergoing all kinds of suffering right now that we over here in America can't even begin to understand. We can't wrap our minds around it. We're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? That shouldn't be happening. We have to be on the defensive we have to be ready. We have to be prepared. Listen to James chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. It's this idea of being defensive, resisting, standing firm. But I don't stand firm in my own power, I stand firm in the power of Christ. That every accusation, every attack that Satan throws at you, you can call Satan out and go, bro, not today, man. I am self-controlled and I am alert and I'm calling scripture out on you. That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I have to be on the defensive. I have to be ready. I have to be a person. And here's the good news about this, right? Is that in the midst of this, He says, know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings and that you and I together get to celebrate when we go through those sufferings together and celebrate and remember those who have given their lives, those who have laid everything on the line for the sake of the gospel and be remembering that. Because listen, listen to what he says in verse 10. The grace, or sorry, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you. And listen to what he says. Make you strong and firm and steadfast. Here's the reality of what comes out of persecution. What comes out of persecution, I believe, is more rebellion, but it's more rebellion against Satan. It's the idea that I stand firm upon the word of God, that when I am persecuted, he is just strengthening and digging deeper the foundation with which my feet are planted in God's word because now I can stand firm on the hope that rests in Jesus Christ, that his word speaks volumes to my life, that he builds me up, he strengthens me. And listen, he says it, he himself will restore you. And Jesus himself will make you strong. He will make you firm and steadfast. And then he closes with this idea or this statement, to him be the power forever and ever, amen. Like when we sing those songs this morning, crown him with many crowns, and you think about the very power and the majesty of Jesus sitting on the throne, the one who died on the cross, the one who paid a servant's price, a suffering price, a broken price. He dies on the cross for our sins, and yet he rose again so that we could be in the defensive position and stand against the very works of Satan. So please hear me out when I talk about this. 1 Peter, I believe, is one of the most encouraging books in one of the most discouraging times. And so you may be right now discouraged, downtrodden, worried, anxious, About those things. And all I can say is this, is that I have to build my life upon the truth of God's word, that I cast all my worry and all my cares on him because he cares for me. And that these five things need submission, humility, self-control, alertness or watchfulness and defensiveness need to be in your survival kit when it comes to facing persecution, when it comes to facing the wins and the trials and the struggles that we'll face. That's exactly what you need. And it's not something you add to your own tool belt. It's something that God gives you as you grow with him. And that leads me to this last thing. Today, we've got our sign-ups for our life groups. You can sign up online right as you walk out these two doors. We have the the sign-up sheets out there. We're encouraging everybody, even if you're not a member of our church, to join a life group, get to be a part of it, to grow in a disciple-making relationship, you need relationships with others. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Satan likes to isolate and separate. And when we're isolated and separated, we set ourselves up for the pounce of Satan to work. Because we're isolated from the strength that comes in the body of believers, the church. But we also need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, to grow, to be men and women who correctly handle the word of truth, who can build our lives upon the truth of God's word and stand firm regardless of what everybody else says around us. And so we're going to encourage you today, as you're leaving, to sign up for a life group. You may be somebody who's like, man, I don't know, I got to commit. That's a lot of commitment. I, I believe everybody needs this. Everybody needs to be a part of a group who is growing. So we have experience in God Bible study. We have our uh, emotionally healthy spirituality that my wife and I are going to be leading. We have the Believe series. Matter of fact, we're going to be teaching that twice. Chris is going to be teaching it every other Tuesday, right? Yeah, every other Tuesday. He's teaching every other Tuesday. I'm going to be teaching it every Monday or every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. downstairs while our kids' activities are going on and stuff like that. And then we also have, I'm forgetting, well, the, uh, Mike and Stacey Manaszewski are leading uh, the book of James. And James is a great book with what we're just talking about. And so I would encourage you to sign up for that. Don't choose it just based upon people. Choose it based upon what you really feel like you want to get connected with. Because we believe that that's the best route forward for us. And, and please hear me out when I say this. We want to be a church. That doesn't just gather a large group of people and have great worship celebration. We want to be a church that prepares people, listen, that prepares people for the mission and sends our people out constantly on mission at work, in school. What would it look like when our church begins to make disciples who make disciples? And listen to me when I say this. I believe wholeheartedly there are some here right now that you're missing out on the very blessing that God has because He's called you to make disciples. And you may, not, you may be like, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to do it. And we believe that that's our job. We want to encourage, to bless, to train, to equip so that we can send you out. Because that's how the church multiplies. That's how the church grows. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your good news and for your grace. And God, we pray just as we close with this, that, that you would strengthen us, that you would equip us, that God, we would have a passion for your word, that we would stand firm, that God, as I think about these five tools we really need to kind of have in our survival kit to be prepared and ready to move forward, to be obedient, that we would be people who are submissive, that we would be humble, we would have a humility that places uh, our, our, our trust and our faith in you in your mighty hand. That, God, we can learn to be self-controlled through your spirit, that we learn what it means to stand strong and firm, that, God, we would be alert and aware and watchful for the schemes of Satan, that we would be on the defense, ready to guard and protect our family, to guard and protect our lives, and to guard and protect the church because we know that the the church is the very thing that you are going to build. So Father, we thank you for your great grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.